Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Hello and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you're listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. And before we get into it, I'm going to apologise to everyone this morning because I have never experienced Aaron in a worse mood, even after dropping huge fish, going out in the boat for hours and not catching anything. This is the worst mood I've ever seen him in. Good morning, Redmond. Well, there's two reasons why. It's because I've got a sore shoulder that's bad and I'm dealing with you. So that's the two reasons that I'm uh, a little bit grumpy today, but that's all right. We're here to talk about fishing and the great outdoors. And Patrick, and we don't want to talk about it too much, but the whole, pretty much the whole country is uh, experiencing a very harsh lockdown. So you and I got a bit of work to do to put a bit of work together. Well, we have a bit of work to do to inspire everyone that there's some <laughs> wonderful things happening right around the country at the moment besides just the lockdown everyone keeps talking about so i said to you pre-meeting for this show i didn't want you to talk about it you've led with we're in lockdown can we just take ourselves away from it for five minutes Aaron? well we've got 40 odd minutes for the show pat so let's <laughs> let, let's not mention it again other, other than one or two more times Hey, Redmond, there's some exciting news around the country. Now, Haynes Hunter, one of the most iconic fiberglass boating manufacturers in the country, uh, has released their new 760 Enclosed. Now, this model is based on their very popular 760R, which is their soft top model. Now, this is the full hard top setup. Now, Davey Marine uh, have taken the first order, and a lot of this has come off the back of customer feedback in its design. They're running twin 250s, uh, beautiful white Yamahas on the back of it. It is an enormous boat. And Davey Marine have said this stems from customer feedback that trailer boats are going further and further offshore, are driving around the country, COVID permitting, and we need to be able to have, we need to, to have a vessel that we can take anywhere now i know you've seen uh, a few photos of it it looks very similar to the the 760r the soft top version i know you've spent a bit of time with lee rayner who's got a wonderful uh 670 um what what do you make of it this is going to be you know very much it's going to start in the 200s i dare say uh and then push up from there depending on the electronics package the outboard package uh most of these you know, maxi trailable game boats now, Redmond, they're offering, you know, joystick control, which sometimes, you know, you're looking at 20 to 30 grand extra just for your steering package. Good move, bold move. Where do you see it? I think it's a great move. I think it's a good-looking boat. Uh, the I wouldn't even consider the soft top, to tell you the honest truth. That now goes out of the market for me. As you know how much I love the hard tops, 
But uh, it's it's on that borderline of being – it's a big boat. 760 is that big boat, and that's going to – similar to yours, Pat, your, your North Bank, your 750. It's, go, it's on that – it's on that verge of like, how do I trailer this? It's going to like, where, where can, what do a car vehicle do I need to pull this around the country? So it's going to be interesting. The weight, I haven't seen the overall weight of it yet. You might have, but it's going to be heavy. Uh, so, well, 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 I think we can assume that this is going to start in the, the mid threes at the yep. moment. The, the base package uh, at Davy Marine is 256. Now, as tested, this boat is. I think it's about 3.30 and sits just under four tonne on trailer. Now, you can buy uh, an ex-Riviera sort of 35. It's maybe 15 years old for a similar price. It's a huge amount of money. It's well over a quarter of a million dollars for a trailer boat. But people continue to purchase them, and that's the whole reason that, that Davy Marina really challenged Hainsana to to add this to their range. Interest rates are interesting at the moment. Yeah, yeah, they are. And Davy Marine, um, Adam Davy over there, he, he, he's got a magnificent uh, business, fantastic uh, workshop, great. He, he's right on the ball there with his clientele. He listens to what they have to say, and he does a really, really, really good job. So well done to the Haynes Hunter crew for actually getting listening to – I think that's the biggest thing in getting a good boat. It's actually not just making a boat. It's listening to what people like myself and yourself, Pat, have to say and putting it all together and actually making the ultimate package and – it's probably on the bit for me. It's that bit big, too bit big for me. That seven sixty. I do a lot of towing, so in all honesty, for me, it's that bit big. But for someone like you, Pat, who has to have everything big, it's probably the old boat, <laughs> like your seven fifty hardtop. So it's uh, yeah, it's definitely a select market. But I'm tipping that they're definitely going to sell. They're going to sell a few of them. And like I said, Davy Davy Marine does a fantastic job. So if you are uh, wanting to drop in there, I'm sure COVID permitting that he'll uh, he'll arrange for you guys to be able to either go for a test run or whatever he's doing down there. He'll 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 make it happen. Redmond, one of the things if you're going to purchase a boat this big, and, and we've spoken about it at length on the show before, is that you have to have a vehicle that's matched to be able to tow it. Now, besides uh, purchasing a truck within the market at the moment, Rams obviously released their new 1500. Um, the only problem is with that Redmond, you're looking at 17 litres per 100 Ks, where the market seems to be going towards more fuel-efficient vehicles. This thing, powered by wonderful Hemi engine, 17 and a half litres per 100 Ks isn't exactly fuel-efficient, Redmond. Yeah, well, we might just uh, cut this segment because uh, I, uh, I I want a Ram and I don't want cars to this. <laughs> Okay, so get this edited out. Uh, I do want a Ram. That's the, that's my ultimate car is a Ram, and I've got to buy a new house. And the missus said she doesn't care what I do for that. So, uh, so we'll cut that little bit out with the 17 liters an hour because they're they're a beast of a car. I, I love them. I, I I don't think they're practical in any way other than towing. They can't park them. You can't do nothing with them. But I don't think there's a much. I don't think there's a much better car as in for the old. Uh, uh, imp- impressing people down the street sort of thing and you can't park them anywhere you can't do nothing but like you said before if you own a 760 hardtop uh haynes hunter you're going to need it um unfortunately i'm going to need it just because i'm going to need it but it's uh <laughs> it's it's one of those like the trailer boats these days look at what we're doing like traveling to polo bay 88 kilometers offshore and i'm doing it in a six meter boat and 
that hardtop we just spoke about is going to be 50 times comfier than that. It just is. It's a bigger boat. It's just how it works. Yeah. And you got Eden in New South Wales, and you and I headed to Cairns, and we did that whole coast up there in a 750 hardtop. And a lot of people, we I know we trucked them up there, but a lot of people will be travelling up there. But with a Ram using 17, I think you said 17 litres per hundred. Well, uh, but it, it's it, it's, it's not it's, gonna... it's horses for courses compared to. You know anything else that's on the market is going to be similar. If say you're you're purchasing a truck now, I know yep. Ram claims sort of that twelve and a half um, average, but once you start to tow things, it, it, every review that I've read and I've read a few on on boat sales, a cracking uh, article that they did, and they were around that seventeen and a half liter. Now you're looking at one twenty odd, but in terms of a thousand, but Redmond. It's the only thing that'll tow four and a half tons. And if you buy a Land Cruiser, you've got to get a tow pack. You've got to spend more um, and get it upgraded. And if you're buying a Land Cruiser now, you can't get anything less. I think they're a quarter of a million dollars now for a Toyota Land Cruiser. They're the world's most expensive second-hand car. Um, <laughs> same with, with Ranger Hilux. You're looking at the three and a half ton towing. And what that doesn't – and what people sometimes forget is that if you purchase that Redmond – that three and a half, as soon as you step foot in it, your 70 kilos comes off it. So you're now 3.4. I step in it, there's 150 kilos comes off it. And then all of a sudden, it, it eats into how much you're actually able to tow with these vehicles. So we, we just don't have a massive market compared to the US um, where it's really competitive with obviously the Ford 150s and Raptors and those sorts of things. We don't have that competition just yet which is what will eventually drive prices down um that's i dare say enough for fishing and outdoor news though redmond let's have a little bit of a look around the country there's been some really good um well there's been some good captures but it just hasn't been quite everywhere because we haven't been able to get off and fish well, usually I have a pretty in-depth uh, report on my week in fishing and uh, the amount of rain we've had, I reckon if I cast it out of my boat in the driveway, I'd probably catch something because we've had so much rain and so much weather. But unfortunately, I haven't been out as much as I would have liked. I got out on the Thursday into my restrictions, a couple of hours, and I was only off like the ramps three-odd k's from me. Then coming back towards my house, I can get nearly 4K offshore. So I was managed to get a couple of nice gummies, which is really good. I actually got a few whiting on the way back in as well, in close in the, in the ocean there. Uh, around the country, we've got those yellowfin. And I've got a, I've got a guy that I follow on social media on Instagram. His name's, his name's um, Jake Brisbane. And I'm actually going to get him on in a few weeks to take us through this yellowfin tuna bite specifically because he is out there. Like I said to you last week, I don't think he works. Uh, he works on a commercial, <laughs> but he catches more yellowfin on that boat and everywhere he goes. So I, I'm going to try and get him on in the next few weeks just to hear a fisherman sort of story. He works on a commercial boat. He's out there chasing these fish. It'll be a great chat with him. And uh, he, he, he's going to go into depth of why he thinks, or hopefully I'm going to ask him to, why he thinks uh, these yellowfin are hanging around for so long between that 40 to 80 kilo and they're getting them on top water, lure, and they just keep biting. So, I'm going to really try and get him on to cover that for you, for everyone in the country, but more specifically the New South Wales guys who can actually get an understanding of it. If we head over to the West Redmond um, Broome at the moment, probably one of the few places where you can just go about your daily lives, the West, but Broome, there's some great um, videos doing the rounds on socials at the moment of, of fantastic whale activity, but some huge Spanish mackerel. I know um, chatting with 
with Carl Lendon last week. He was up there and catching fish that were well over one and a half metres long. We were talking about it. Um, one of the great fish to catch, to capture, but also a great eating fish. Yeah, I know you love eating them. We, uh, we got a few when we were up north and you made me clean all these fisheries for you to eat because how much you love the Spanish mackerel. But it's they're a great fish to catch. They're, they're, they're energetic. They're fun. They jump. You take the lures off and they do even so, all sorts of things. And I know Al McGlashan fishing with a good friend of the show, Bomber Farrell, out of Groot Island well, a couple of years maybe now, not even. And they've got – they literally took the lures or other hooks off the lures and they're literally having Spanish mackerel jump 10 metres out of the bloody water at times, like literally launching themselves <laughs> out of the water and just phenomenal fish to catch. You do need to run wire because they do have that super sharp teeth. So you've got to be pretty smart about how you crimp your wire and you, there's, there's certain knots you can do the wire twist knot if you want to run them on deep divers. So it, it's the one, there are one fish that I've only ever caught uh, a handful of them and I do want to land a big one. So it's, it's definitely on my to-do list. And I know you pulled me away from New South Wales. I'm just going to throw just one more thing in there. Uh, the Mako shark fishery out of the New South Wales coast, the whole continental shelf, that 120 metre mark, give or take, is that rough area where we want to start looking for those Mako. So that's just on the inside of the continental shelf. That is the area where we tend to target our striped marlin, that 120 to 180. Now, when you're targeting Makos, I just wanted to – this is the time of the year they get those real big ones and big numbers. Uh, when you target them, you need to be smart. You can't just rock up anywhere and hope to God that you're just going to catch a Mako. Now, the numbers do get to the stage where you could nearly do that, but if you want to get consistency and not waste your money and time getting out that far and putting all this burly in the water, set your drift up properly. We want to make sure that we're covering depths. We don't want to be drifting along that same contour line. We don't want to hit that 120 and just drift with it. So sometimes you cannot help it physically because the current's pushing that way. But quite often we have a little bit of breeze where we can turn the steering wheel to the side, get our angle of the boat. We want to drift side on and that will naturally create a, a, a depth change. So you might, but another way to do it, if you are drifting the same way, is pick a part of the continental shelf that actually kinks or moves. That way you might go from 120 to 130 to 140, then back to 120. At least you're covering depths. The Makos travel parallel to the shore. They always follow along the continental shelf. They follow their depths, and you want to have your burly. So a Mako hits that burly trail, intercepts it, and makes their way to your boat. Now, the fish are big. Uh, I don't know what you're going to do if you get a 250-kilo one, which is <laughs> – which is well in like I'm not making that up. There's and bigger 300 plus at times. So if you do want to try and catch one of them and kill one of them, you want to use a flying gaff. That's really really important. And even for the smaller ones, using a flying gaff can literally save your like save your boat and the scratches down the side because they go off their head. Those makos. Talk to me about when it comes to the size of these sharks and being mindful of. The bigger you go, the greater the mercury concentration and what that does to the edibility of these fish, it destroys them, essentially. It does. And the, the, the main – the way to stop – to reduce the mercury is by actually freezing the mercury in itself. So that's the bet. If you do get a big shark – So you fill it the shark? Uh, so let's just – just an example. So we'll go back just to a standard gummy shark. Naturally, over the years, coming back from when I was a kid with my old man – we used to always freeze gummy shark all the time because the mercury tastes bad and it's bad for you. 
Well, I've never noticed the mercury taste all being bad for you in the smaller gummy sharks. I just, I, and I've spoke to people, numerous people about it. They don't carry that sort of mercury content. A small mako probably doesn't either. But when you start to get to that 60 kilo, 80 kilo, even bigger, that's when the mercury starts to actually, there's more mercury in the fish and it builds up and gets more and more. So when you do get a big fish, for instance, say you kill and uh, you, you kill the 150 kilo, you bleed it on the day, you, t- you gut it, you do all the right things, you get in, make sure that you do fill it up and freeze it. I wouldn't be, no, not a big fish, I wouldn't be eating it fresh. I'd be freezing it to make sure you actually reduce the mercury in that fish because mercury is not very, very good for us at all to eat. So <laughs> be mindful of that. <laughs> you might turn out to look like Superman or something. Redmond uh, heading south, South Australia at the moment. There's been some really good uh, reports, albeit spasmodically at times, of tuna. There's been some really nice Australian salmon caught along the beaches. Um, we heard uh, head towards the port. Once again, in those shallow waters, there's reports of squid captures, but but spasmodic at times. What are you hearing? Yeah, the guys in the kayaks are probably having the best success. They're getting in nice and shallow, and they're fishing sort of around that York Peninsula. That York Peninsula is fishing very, very well. Uh, once again, don't get carried away with the colour of your squid jig. Uh, you know me, it's my most hated question, hated question in fishing is what colour squid jig you use. Can't stand that question. It's about the fall of the squid jig. It's about, so if you're fishing in two metres of water in a kayak, you've got to make sure the jig's not hitting the ground fast. You want to make sure it's having a nice sink rate through the water column and falling so that squid has its best chance of grabbing it as it, you want it falling longer, you want it falling nicely longer through that water column than you do racing to the bottom or not sinking at all. And if you follow real action fishing charters also, Pat, um, out of Marion Bay, they're having a phenomenal season on the offshore fishery. Like they're landing some seriously good fish. Blue Morwong, they're an amazing fish to catch and eat. Like you reckon snapper pull hard? Well, in my belief, they pull harder and they taste better. They're a cleaner fish. Fantastic fish to uh, to target. You've also got the Nanagai, which, in my opinion, they're up there with one of the best eating fish to eat too. Nanagai burgers. We've spoke about them on the show. Yeah. Bloody terrific. And the sharks, the school sharks and the gummy sharks, they're, they're coming over the side every single trip pretty much. So the guys at Real Action Fishing Charters, I personally don't know who they are, but I'm going to give them a shout-out because they've done such a tremendous job working through this uh, crap period. And I'm really hoping that uh, the fishing keeps going for those guys because they're really working hard and catching some awesome fish. We've got a massive show of real adventures coming your way this morning, so stick around. Plenty more on the other side of this break. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures, Aaron. I have been addicted to the Olympics over the past week. I'm loving every bit of it. You've been mocking me uh, with a few texts back and forth because of my love for the equestrian and the Grand Prix freestyle for those playing at home, the Grand Pricks freestyle. You get to choose your own song. And I think song choice when it comes to riding a horse is critical. It needs to be sort of almost Hans Zimmer-esque. Like if you've got something that's truly epic, people will be more engaged. And I think they'll give you a slightly better score. Be the Daryl Braithway, right, horses? <laughs> What's that American song with something about horse with no name? Could be. Anyway, we're getting, <laughs> we're getting off track here. Um, so many great sports. 
There's been a few added this year. We've seen surfing, which is terrific, skateboarding, three-on-three basketball, which I'm not totally, you know, I'm not sold on. Everyone keeps telling me there's huge, massive participation rates right around the the world, but that hasn't really been a driving factor when you look at some of the sports in the Olympics. Fishing is not on there, Aaron, and it should be because we are classed as a sport. No one participates in uh in a sport more than they do fishing. It's the most popular sport in the world. If fishing was included into the Olympics, would you have it as a catching exercise or more of a casting exercise? Because one of the great things to go and see when we went to boat shows was seeing the casting competitions. Do you, could you see yourself as an Olympian? We've all got strengths, Pat, and one of your strengths in your game that you play is getting out of the park, getting the ball. Well, for me, it's whiting. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to see an Olympic sport where it's first to your bag limit of whiting. Here in Victoria, it's 20 per person. And I want to challenge someone for the Olympics. And I want to see that line coming across the water as a one and in where you're chasing it down for that record time to get that world record. The, the problem, though, you, you, you've missed a little important factor here, Aaron. The Olympics goes right around the world. And Pat. I'm not sure what the fishing is like in Tokyo this time of the year. Each, so, con- each country, each country gets to choose. I think it is up to f- take four in, put four sports out each year. I think it's along the lines of that. If you're in Australia and it's coming to Brisbane in whenever it is, I read it somewhere. It's coming to Brisbane. <laughs> so that's Australia. If they've got to bring it down to Port Phillip Bay or Western Port, I think I've got something to work with here. It is coming to Australia. We we worked very hard as a country to get it to Australia with all the other. Uh, nations that were bidding for it, we managed to get it. Um, actually, there was no one that was bidding for it, so it was always <laughs> going to be out. Well, maybe it's more of something that's Queensland based. Maybe it's sort of your coral trout sort of action. What would you have? Would you would you go the casting or the fishing side of it? No, the, I think it, the technical side or the fishing side. No, it would have to be a casting competition because it takes too much time to get your bit like you know, archery. Exactly right. I think it'd be sensational. Did anyway, you, did you see some of the stuff ups during the week? Just to name a couple, we saw a C bomb, we saw an F bomb, <laughs> we seen a boat blocking triathletes from getting into the water. I tell you what, that bloke was driving hard reverse. Did you see him swing out of that? I tell you, he's lucky he didn't take out fifteen contestants. Oh, the thing that I love most about it after the F bomb was dropped, it doesn't get much more Australian. It, <laughs> but that is that 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 encapsulates Australia perfectly. And the other thing that I really enjoyed was America's disdain for Dean Boxall's celebration. Um, it's it's warmed the soul during the week to see how upset that it's made them because they get a little bit of their own mess, uh, medicine with how friggin' poorly they behave. When that they was going to be on. my advice for the gaff this week for that one. My, one of my favourites is the BMX runs over the official. I don't know if you've seen that. He, he, he took out the potential gold medalist. He, he stuffed his knee in a warm-up. We'll, we'll actually never see that official again. So, um, it's actually <laughs> pretty quickly this week. The boat driver and the BMX of Marshall or whatever it was. Let's, <laughs> let's get to the social club where we take your questions from social media. We've got a real brand giveaway every week, fishing top and hat. And we've had a few little issues with sending those out so uh stay with us they will be sent out first question is from owen red i'm about to buy some jigs for the upcoming kingfish season what do you recommend i purchase i fish in the bay but i also like fishing 
uh, where there's water movement, do I go super heavy? It's a good question, Owen. You need to be, uh, you need to be, uh, I guess, you need to have sort of every with kingfish. You need to have everything on offer, and it comes down to your hard bodies, to your plastics, to your squid strips. But with with jigs specifically, you need to match it to where you're fishing as much as possible. Now, a place like like I fished Port Walshpool, uh, White Rock, which is a beautiful place where we fished, and I over the summer just gone. Now, a place like that, not a not a lot of tidal influence. You're not traditionally fishing in wind because you're traveling so far out. Where there, you'll get away with a 120, 130 gram jig. But then you head to a place like the Port Phillip Bay Heads, where the tide's rushing, it's up to 60 meters. You might need a 180 up to 220 at times. You've also got places in New Zealand like the Three Kings, and you're dropping down hundreds of meters, and they're using up to 300 gram size jigs so there's such a different range that you need to purchase if i were you i would probably it gets quite expensive at times but i would definitely be trying to uh trying to match your fishing area with the cost to save the cost so if you're fishing the heads and offshore i would buy 120 gram jigs up to 200 and i'd probably buy two of each be mindful that you're going to lose a couple here and there but you shouldn't lose too many uh, if, from the fish side of things, it's more the structure. So if you've got a 180, a 160 should cover you if you do lose that 180 if you, or the two 180s, vice versa, right up to 200s. So for me, it's about having variety for where you actually specifically are going to target kingfish. The next question is from Lockie. Danger, how big of a boat would you go for beach launching and what factors do you take into consideration? Well, I think I've got the ultimate beach launcher, Lockie. So I've got a 15-foot stabby craft, and the reason that I can't go any bigger where we launch is because of the just how steep the beaches are and we launch straight into swell. You can launch a far bigger boat off the beach, and I generally stick to aluminium. Um, if you've got areas where you've got trenches, you can launch into deeper water and you don't have, have incoming directional swell straight onto the beach. So you, I suppose you're limited by how protected you are. So the, the two examples that I've got, so where I launch at home, we're straight into swell. The the beach gradient is, is not um, decent at all. So you've got to drive your car a fair distance into the water. Torquay, for example, um, you know, which is close to Bells Beach, one of the most popular sort of surf spots around the country. Um, it's easier there because it's quite protected. But then you look at different locations around if you go further north you go say fraser island you can get um different spots where you can you know find those gutters launch directly into those and you can launch really decent sized boats same thing in south australia you don't have that that swell that you have to worry about so you find a lot of people will launch with tractors and they'll launch six meter boats so it depends on how much swell that you have to deal with and how steep the beaches are if it's not steep then really um, you're looking at a boat that's sort of not much bigger than four and a half meters, 4.7. And then you're sort of, you're looking for, a, you know, as light or outboard as you can get. So you're, you're keeping your overall weight down. Um, so it depends, it depends on what you're fishing, um, Redmond. So, you know, I wouldn't be going too much, too much bigger, what, uh, than that. What about tow, what about tow vehicles, Pat? That, that's pretty important with, well, you've spoken about the boat side of it. Tow vehicles are extremely important. Some some people have 
uh, the options of like, tractors and the likes with f- certain fishing clubs, Pat? Well, absolutely. And that's definitely worth it. Your, your 100, 200 bucks a year or whatever it might be for signing up at your local fishing club where you've got access to a tractor and you don't have to drive your four-wheel drive onto the beach. And over time, you will kill your car. You, you just will because you're you know, driving it so deep into the water, particularly if you're launching a bigger boat. Um, so I would definitely suggest signing up to your local uh, fishing club. You get access to the tractor. You don't have to worry about being bogged because at some stage you're going to get bogged launching off the beach no matter how good you are. It's just it's just what happens, particularly when you're and dealing when you're, with tides and you're having to you know, work hard against that sort of thing. When you're sitting at the cafe because you've been asked to grab breakfast on the way down, you're actually not running late and you get a phone call off Pat abusing you because he's tried to put the boat in early and he's got bogged and he needs me. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm copping abuse because the tide's coming in. Yep. Just, just, just accept, the, accept the abuse because it's a bit stressful at times, isn't it? It is exactly right. So <laughs> you, you have to pick your times and pick your battles. Lyndon, uh, Red, have you ever ran two hooks for whiting? If so, when and why not? Yeah, that's a really good question because it's something that I don't do. Now, the reasons that I don't do it is I fish a lot of tidal waters. And I'll see a couple of local Queenslift boys have been fishing for years. They'll go out and they'll get a few double headers and whatnot. But for the hassle of putting two baits on, the amount of times you actually get double hookups and also for the chances of your bait spinning a hell of a lot more, it's just not worth it. But it comes back to that's more of the why not. But if so, when places like Clifton Springs or an area wherever you fish around the country that doesn't have serious tidal waters, you can definitely run two hooks for whiting on an extended pat. On, or you probably don't even have to run extended; just run a normal pat noster with two hooks on, on the actual uh, main uh, main uh, bit of leader in itself. And you've also got things like Swamp. Just an example: Swamp Bay. A little while ago, I was fishing in there, and it's very heavy ground, heavy terrain. And what I mean by that is if you were to stand on the actual ground in itself, you'll come up to maybe your shins in weed. But then if you actually push down, you're going to go into the mud. So what I actually do is I actually with the sinker, I actually bring my hook up off the bottom to get it out of that weed so it's easier for the fish to find it. So that there is a couple of little options that you've got regarding tide. I wouldn't do it in tide, but to get out of the weed or in non-tidal areas, 100% well worth running two hooks. If you were to ask me, would I do it? Probably not because you go through a lot more bait and I try to concentrate that whole time on that one fish. So that's that's what I would do. But like I said, it will definitely work. And if so, that's the answer there that I've just given you. Uh, Owen, congratulations, mate. You're our winner this week. Send us a direct message and we'll get it sent out to you. Great question in regards to the upcoming coming kingfish season and what size jigs to use plenty more real adventures coming up after the break gearing up for dometic always stay relaxed and hydrated wherever your adventure takes you with dometic's rugged drinkware it's now time for gearing up for dometic fuel your adventure with dometic's outdoor drinkware earlier in the week i caught up with michael evans from victorian inland charters listen to what he has to say good morning michael G'day, mate. Morning. How are you? Going well, mate. Thanks for uh, thanks for jumping on this morning. Now, Victorian Inland Charters. Let's just say it's a it's a it's a famous name. It's been fishing around Victoria's uh, freshwater fishery for quite a period of time now. And a very good friend of yours, Trevor Holmes, who used to hold the reins, who has more aluminium in him now than an actual stabycraft does in itself. <laughs> so <laughs> you did take the reins from uh, Trev a few years ago, mate. Take us through the business. 
what you do and uh, a little bit about what's going on at the moment. Um, so, yeah, Trev owned, well, Trev owned the business for, well, since I think it was about 2013. Um, and about two and a half years ago, I, well, about four years ago, I actually went and jumped on board with him and, and worked with him and all that sort of stuff. And then I started second boat and was working under him and all that. And then he decided to sort of, yeah, well, well hand the reins over to me a little bit. And he sort of wanted to step away from, from the business a bit, just from um, a few health issues and whatnot. So I sort of, yeah, took it on and then eventually just took it over from him. Um, he was happy to sort of hand the business over to me and let me sort of take it over from there. And I've been doing it for four years now and I've taken over Trev well, about two and a half years ago. We travel around to some of the lakes and impoundments around Victoria, chase trout, redfin, chinook salmon, murray cod, yellow belly. Yep. And yeah, so that's sort of the gist of it. So we're in the middle of, well, smack bang middle of winter. It's as cold as anything. It's, it's the motivation yeah. is slightly yeah. on the down low. We all know that. Bit of rain, cold, especially on those yeah. lakes. What are you, to get people motivated, it's, it's usually the best time of the year to catch trout and a few other species, isn't it? Yeah, well, this time of year, that's, that's the part where you said it's freezing cold, it's rainy, windy. But as you said, again, it's probably a prime time for your big trout and Chinook salmon. Um, they've just sort of, well, especially the browns, they've just come off the tail end of their spawning sort of habits and all that type of thing. Now they're starting to feed up and they're coming in around the shallows of the lakes and it can be pretty exciting with the old bent minnows and surface lures and stuff like that. And in some of our lakes, especially down the crater lakes and all that sort of thing, there's brands in there 10, 15 pounds, so you just never know what you could get. Speaking of crater lakes, now for those that aren't freshwater-minded as such, similar to probably more myself, I do bits and pieces, but when you say crater lakes, what are crater lakes? So the crater lakes are old extinct volcanoes down, um, in Camperdown region, and they're really deep. They're 50, 60 metres deep. Uh, they've got water year-round. They've got access. They've got big fish. They've got lots of fish, and, yeah, they're just yeah, they're great lakes. So over the next over the next few weeks, uh, you've you've got some availability, which we'll talk about how to get in contact with you shortly. What we how, how do you set up a charter? What will you be doing? Uh, you've got redfin on offer. You've got trout on offer. And there's a few other species. Yeah. So at the minute, I'm down at um, Lake Byron Beach. Yep. Uh, and I've got a few charters going on this weekend, and then I'll be back down again next weekend at Lake Byron Beach. Then I'll uh, probably have a week off and maybe head to Eildon or go back down there. Just depends how the fishing's going, but. Yeah, I mean, some guys want to come on board and they just want to get a feeder ready, so we'll go out and do that. And other guys just come on specifically want to chase a, a big trout or a big salmon, so, yeah, we head out and do that. And different options, trawling, bait fishing, um, casting, there's, yeah, it's endless opportunities on, on what you can do. It's just a matter of if the fish want to play the game on the day. What de- so. what determines uh, how you target, I guess, each species? So I did Lake Tolondo a couple of years ago with Trev for a bit of fun. and yeah. He, he used different methods in Lake Tolondo. Now, what you're in Parambit, like you said, what what determines what you're going to use on the day? Um, wind factor, um, cloud cover, barometer is a massive thing. You've got to follow barometer. Moon phases too do affect freshwater fish. Um, I'm not a big fan of a full moon. I, I don't mind fishing the, the build-up to it, but I reckon sort of a few days sort of in and around it and after it is a bit poor. Easterly winds, I hate easterly winds for the crater lakes. They just shut the fish down. They don't want to know about it. Yeah, okay, yeah. Just all that sort of thing. And that will determine on, depending on all those things, whether I'll fish deep, whether I'll fish shallow. Um, early morning, late arvo, generally I'll push right into the edges because the fish come out from the depths and, and sort of start hunting for a cheap feed around the edges. So that's the best time to get your surface 
active, I think. So, yeah. So you work all year round. Uh, we're obviously in the middle of the winter. We've spoken about your trout. We've spoken about your redfin. Uh, and you've also spoken about Lake Ilden. But as yep. the water starts to warm up, where do you tend to situate yourself? Like for me, it's going to be, I'd like to come more in the summer period. I know some people will be on the same okay. same page as that. Just And I know you get your, your hardcore fishers that want to land that trophy brown trout that you just spoke about. Okay. But That's pushing right. into the summer, what do we? What, what, what would you recommend? Where will you, not recommend, where will you be situated to, and what will you be targeting? So over summer is obviously uh, my real, real busy period. Uh, almost can't get a break for myself, but, I sort of try and still swap it up. I go to, you know, that's when I'll start going to Eild and chasing the cod and the yellows. Yep. Uh, it gets really busy up there. Um, the demand for fishing gets really busy as well. But I'll also go back to the, the crater lakes as well and have a go down there because you believe it or not, you do get some big trout in some. A lot of people don't think that, do. And your redfin fishing really starts to fire up down that way as well. So you've got the redfin down at the crater lake, it really booms. And then up at Lake Eild, um, your cod fishing really starts to pick up especially surface fishing and all that as, as the weather gets warmer and all that sort of thing. And the yellow belly fishing is really good too. So, yeah. What um, you, you talk about your, your methods that you talk with, uh, with what you spoke about before, your bent minnows and whatnot during the winter months of yep. trout. How do you catch a big trout in summer? Because to tell you the honest truth, I, I didn't really pick that you caught big trout through the summer. I always thought it was winter. How do you target them? Because they push down deep and whatnot. Yeah. So in the summer when you go for trout at the deeper lakes, You've got the options of dam rigging, using uh, weighted clips, and getting your lures right down in front of them and all that sort of thing. Bait fishing. Um, and we'll believe it, my biggest fish that I've caught from those lakes is a bit over nine pounds. Yeah. And nearly 80 centimetres. And that was on a 37-degree day on the 28th of January two years ago <laughs> in 35 metres of water at 12 o'clock during the day. So you're, down, so you're literally down rigging 30-plus metres at times to target these trout. Yeah, yeah, for sure, because a lot of time they'll um, hug the bottom during the day obviously because it's the cooler water, so they'll be down 30, 40, 50 metres deep, and yeah. it's just a matter of putting your lure down in front of one of them that wants to eat, I guess. Now, so. ask your honest opinion with um, eating quality. Now, I know you've done a bit of salt water in your time and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, they, they call the redfin the chicken of the freshwater, and whiting, they reckon, yeah. is the top of the range out of the, out of the salt water. For me, it's flattered, yeah. but some people compare whiting to be very, very similar to the redfin on the chew? No, see, I'm, I'm opposite. I Don't get me wrong, I love you whiting with flathead. They're bread and butter fish. I absolutely love eating them. Yep. Um, but with the reddy, by far, they're probably the best freshwater-eating fish, and I compare them to flathead more than whiting. Right, so everyone... Yeah, yeah. They're white, flaky meat, and I think it's got the same texture, it tastes the same, looks the same. So, yeah, I compare it to flathead more so. I tell anyone, if they've never eaten a redfin, and you eat... Uh, Flattered, you'll eat redfin no way. Well, that makes me want to go chase redfin. <laughs> with uh, yeah. with uh, with the uh, with the lakes at the moment, uh, if someone wants to sort of book you in for somewhere in particular because they want to learn that area as a guide, do you jump on people's boats? And I know I'm just throwing that out there. Do you jump on their boats and will you take them through, say, for example, Eildon or whatnot? Um, over the last couple of months, um, I've had sort of been new flavours coming. A lot of people have been asking me if I would do that guiding side of things where I jump on their boat, show them how to use their gear, um, take them out of the lake, show them what to look for with their gear and show them how to target specific things and all that sort of stuff. So that will be a new feature sort of going forward into the summer months. I will offer that where I'll start jumping on other people's boats with them and sort of helping them use their stuff and, yeah, doing a lot of that rather than coming on my boat using all my gear and, yeah. Save, so, save you so. a dollar or two and they get more out of it. It's a pretty simple way yeah, to do it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, they, they sort of use their own gear 
while they're out fishing and they some people don't know a lot about sounders or techniques, rigs, all that sort of stuff, they get on their boat, show them how to do it, show them what to look for and show them how to set it all up. So, yeah. Pretty simple game. Mick Evans from Victorian Inland Charters. Mate, just quickly, how do we get a hold of you? Throw your number. you got Facebook, you got Instagram. Yep, Facebook and Instagram, both Victorian Inland Charters. Yep. Um, you can inbox both them pages or DM, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, online fairly regularly. I get the notifications if someone sends an inbox, so I sort of get to it pretty quick. Yep. And you can give me a buzz on 0402 347 515. Perfect. And for any inquiries, bookings, don't hesitate to get in contact with us. Once again, Michael Evans from Victorian Inland Charters. He's taken over from Trev Holmes, and don't tell Trev, but I heard he does a better job. <laughs> we'll keep that going. Thanks for joining us this morning on Real Adventures, mate, and I'll catch up with you soon. Not a problem, mate. Thank you very much. That was gearing up for Dometic Mobile Living, made easy. And now it's time for Red's Review. Patrick, quite often whilst into your place in the Amarok and struggle to find a park because you've got 64,000 builders usually at your house for the past two years. And <laughs> one day, Dave, the builder, goes, ah, just park on the lawn, mate. I said, oh, no, nah, you'll go off. And he goes, no, nah, no, nah, he's over. He's over that phase now. And sure enough, I walked upstairs. You turned to your left out of the balcony. And he goes, get off my lawn. I said, well, that's Dave's fault, not mine, because he told me you'd be over it. And you sure weren't over it. And uh, today's review is very relevant to your lawn. So take it away. It is Redman. Today we are reviewing Stills RMA 510. It is a self-propelled battery lawnmower. Now, some some of my relatives have described this as a vegan lawnmower, Redman. Until they've actually until they've actually used it. Now, you don't have to change oils. You don't have to fill it up with fuel. All you got to do is plug it in, and away you go. And I didn't understand. I've got a, a decent sized lawn, probably 700 square meters of actually of lawn, sort of front and back of the house. So it's sort of on the peripheral of, geez, could you even justify getting a ride on? But this this takes the cake because being self-propelled, and I didn't really understand what this was, but it drives itself. So all you've got to do is aim this mower, and away you go. Now, there's two batteries. So there's one battery that charges or that powers the, the mower. And then there's another compartment um, for a spare battery, depending on the size of the lawn that you've got. Now, I've got, say, like I said, six to 700 square metres, and it does my entire tire lawn on one charge. It is absolutely brilliant. Now, it's 21 inch depth. So this is kind of like the, um, I don't know how much it cuts. And it is bloody sensational not only is it super quiet it's good for the environment zero emissions but it is so functional because it it doesn't take time to it takes so much less time than my old mob because it's self-propelled it drives itself so you just steer it in the direction you've got your catcher there like any other mower so you're like well, it's a, it's a great lazy mower, absolutely. <laughs> it's got a 36-volt battery that comes with it. Um, and for that medium-sized lawn, I think it is absolutely brilliant. And anyone that hasn't considered a battery-powered mower the next time they're looking to upgrade, seriously go and have a look at it. Still.com.au for more information. They are absolutely brilliant. So that how, is Red's how, review for today. How much are they roughly? So you're looking at about 650 plus your battery. So all I'm pretty much hearing here is eggplant palmy versus chicken palmy. <laughs> well, I know <laughs> you, 
you don't like to spend too much time in your um, or in anything other than fishing. You don't have to worry about fuel for this thing. You don't have to worry about oil changes. None of that. You don't have to pull your arm out of its socket because you're trying to get the thing started because you've flooded it beforehand. All you do, put your battery in, you charge the battery, away you go. One you thought Noah pulls their first go every go. And that there, Redmond, <laughs> is Red's review. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for Red's tip. Now, this is an absolute ripper, Redmond. When you brought this up during the week around um, a little bit of sort of lockdown work that you've been doing, a little bit of organising, because let's be honest, your boat isn't always the cleanest. Well, when I took it to Melbourne Marine Centre to get a bit of work done the other week, I wanted a couple of things changed. Uh, yeah, the uh, poor fiberglass up. I had to do a little bit. I wanted to get my live bait tank glassed in an area, and he reckons he nearly died. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not because anything's dropped out. It's more what he's found. Yeah, it wasn't the fiberglass this time. I don't even know what he found. He, he didn't find anything. I, don't, I reckon he was having it on. I reckon he was pulling my leg. But, uh, yeah, it's looking after you. When you fish every day, it's harder. Like, it's all right when you fish once or twice a month or here or there or every couple of weeks. You, you, you tend to look after stuff a little bit better. But I fish every day and I get a little bit lazy at times, I'll be honest. And my old mad fish bag and my Dometic Esky, uh, Dometic uh, boxes, they're uh, they, uh, they, they tend to smell a bit. And I'll be honest with you, I found off cuts of tuna in a Domet- in a Dometic that I had. I reckon it was sitting there for, I'm going to go with, I'll be generous, two months. And so it was mummified by the time that you found it? Yeah, it wasn't good. And <laughs> I, like, oh my god! Like I was like, I, I didn't even, I couldn't, it didn't even. That's how good they see. I didn't even, I couldn't even smell. I couldn't even smell. It. I'm like, open it. I'm like, I'll take that out on the whiting today. Opened it. Well, it was. It ended up coming out with me. It was more just to get rid of what was in it. It got down to the bin at the ramp because physically the missus would kill me. But what I did was, I, I got rid of it when I got home. I left the lid off. I filled it up with water. Water, but. I would lie to you if I said I put a little bit of bleach in. I put a lot of bleach into the Dometic because I do this regularly with my fish bags as well because they're hard to clean. Like you get grime up and around all up the tops and you're always hosing it out and whatnot, but you always miss a bit. So yeah. just a little tip. If you do want to clean your, your anything that starts to sort of smell, your your, your cool boxes or your, uh, your, your bags, whatever it is, just drop a bit of bleach in with water. But the key is for me is to actually leave it open and let it aerate too. It like it don't just shut it with the water in it. Make sure you leave the lid because it, 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 to, to me it seems like it cleans it a hell of a lot better. So just your bleach from your from the uh, from the laundry or from from the supermarket wherever you want to go. I'll get in trouble because I'm always using the bleach out of the out of the laundry and the missus can never find it because it's sitting out the front in my shed. But it's uh it's something that works really really well and it does get rid of that extra grime and smell if you do make a couple of accidents like I like I do. And you know what? Do you know what smells the worst part about all fish? Elk species of fish. Go on. Calamari, squid. It is well, it, by it, far the worst. It, it does when you leave it for two months. Yes. <laughs> no, it's by far the strongest smell. Even a, even three or four days in the fridge, it starts to get that real strong smell. Like it's something that is potent. Calamari, squid, whatever it is, whatever you want to call it, is literally the worst smelling. So don't go leaving that in your live bait tank like I did for the poor old fiberglass. <laughs> That is Red's tip. Now it's time for the flying gaff, and 
off the back of the Olympics, which we are all loving and enjoying, and it's been great to see that nothing unites our country, I think, more than the Olympics. We can have our arguments and discrepancies and um, tit-for-tat around, whether it be AFL, netball, all our localised sport. But as soon as the Olympics come, we claim absolutely everyone. And it's sensational to see uniting against bloody America. We love beating them. I've found if there is no Australian left in any event and New Zealand are in, all of a sudden I'm, I'm claiming that I'm now a New Zealander and I'm, <laughs> I'm barracking for them as hard as as possible. Yep, all of a sudden it's all about New Zealand. Um, but the gaff this week, Redmond, and you mentioned it off the top of the show, but there was absolute chaos at the start of the uh, men's triathlon at the uh, Olympics because there was a vessel at the start of the race that was literally blocking half of the starting line. So the gun goes and half the field jump in and the other half are looking at, a, I think it looks like a bit of a, it looks like a naiad sort of a, it'd be close to 30 foot, couple of big stonking outboards on the back. And he's just, he's just setting up right in the middle of the race and everyone's looking at him going, hey, what are you doing? So it's a chieftain that's been driving the naiad. It's not about you. Hop out of the way and let the boys do their thing because it was one of the more comical things. And we have seen a few mishaps throughout the Olympics, Redmond. We always do. But that was the one, uh, one of the more uh, humorous ones that we've seen during the week. I just don't know what he was doing there. And it hasn't actually come out what he was doing. There. Like, like, why were you parked like you're mooring at the fish and chip shop at Queenscliff? <laughs> like, what it's, are you doing? It's for broadcast, mate. He was getting in nice and close to get a really good look at the competition. He was so he was so close to killing people. Like, if you, and then all of a sudden the panic comes in and just hard reverse. The boat's pretty much sinking backwards, and there's swimmers either side of the boat, and the actual other half props in the water. Yeah, other half of the swimmers are actually further than where the back of the boat is out swimming. Like, yeah, that could have been an absolute disaster. Thanks for your company this morning. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll see you next week. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.